This episode contains a very disturbing part of your past, worship songs. The music in this episode may manipulate your emotions, trigger your PTSD, or simply get stuck in your head for the next 17 weeks. Proceed with extreme caution. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. It's been a little while. We took a little summer break. Yeah, that was nice. It was a nice little break, although it seems like we waited too long into the summer to take the break. And then I was like, oh, that summer break would have been a good idea to start in like May. But <laughs> well, <laughs> but it worked the break out, okay. was just so nice. It was just really nice yeah. being able to go on vacation and read some books that weren't about religion or atheism. Oh, you read books that aren't about religion and atheism? I do. I do occasionally. I actually just finished a book about the Tour de France and the big do- how doping was a big thing in the Lance Armstrong days. So that was pretty interesting. But I have read a few uh, religion-related books. I've finished Armageddon by Bart Ehrman, which was really good. Oh, I have to read that. That's about the book of Revelation and kind of like how the narrative of Revelation is not anything like what current Christians present mm-hmm. revelation about it's really interesting like he dug into kind of the historical you know the way Bart Ehrman does like yeah it was a really good book I would highly recommend that um what else have you been into any new podcasts or no no new podcasts what books did you read I just finished a huge book on climate change Ooh. I think it's called the thinking person's guide to climate change okay it's not by Al Gore is it no okay <laughs> <laughs> no, it's by like an actual scientist. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> it was very good. I would recommend it to anybody who's interested. That's it has cool. a lot of time to kill reading a huge book about climate change. It's a big, change. huge, thick, real book, not a Kindle book. Real book. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I recently uh, discovered the Oh No, Ross and Carrie podcast. That's right. And I started that from the beginning. That's, that show's been on for a really long time. Like, I think 2011 is when they started it. And there's some really good topics in there. Like, they go and do investigations into, like, various and sundry pseudoscience-type things. But the biggest thing they did so far was they became actual Mormons. Like, they legit embedded with the Mormon church for six months, got baptized the whole nine yards, like, to really dig into it. Like, it's it's wow. crazy. Like, it's amazing. Like, I was telling Alex about it. I was like, you need to listen to this. And I think he listened to it over vacation. And he said, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, okay, I need to listen to that, too. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's like episode three and four. Like, they really go into it. Like, Well, since you mentioned pseudoscience, that actually reminds me of something about climate change that I did want to bring up because we did an episode last season about pseudoscience. And yeah. I forget what the whole episode was about, but we mentioned pseudoscience at the end. Right, yeah. So I, I recently reread the book State of Fear by Michael Crichton. Okay. I ha- I think I have read that. I, I like have Michael Crichton. Have you? Okay. Yeah. I love Michael Crichton. It came out in 2004. So I would have been like, I would have been 20. Okay. So I remember in my early 20s being a climate change denier. Okay. I thought it was mostly because of my dad and like Fox News and just hearing <laughs> all these like regurgitated talking points. And I didn't know anything about climate change beyond that. Right. Those talking points. And so, of course, I was a climate cha- change denier, despite working for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And like, right. So anyway, when I reread State of Fear, I was in complete shock. I read it actually before I just read this huge book on climate change. Okay. I was in complete shock at how badly Michael Crichton had twisted things. Oh, really? The book is um, pretty anti-climate change. Like, he didn't believe in it. And the whole book, he's like throwing out misinformation and cherry picking and just oh, like not understanding the issues. Right. And even now, like, I'm a layperson. Person, but I'm just well versed on the science of climate change. Mm-hmm. Not like an expert, but I've done my due diligence, and even I could pick that apart. So I know that this played into the to why I was a climate denier in my twenties, right? Because I trusted Michael Crichton. He was he's one of my favorite authors. Right. I have a Jurassic Park tattoo on my wrist. You know. Right. Absolutely. Like, and he's written a lot of books that are like very science oriented. Exactly. Like he's got books like about genetics and like he comes across as an authority for sure. Yeah. And so people read this and they're like, okay, that makes sense, but they don't dig further. Mm-hmm. And it's just so scary to me that. I could have been sucked in and I was sucked in right. and that other people are being misled. Yeah. And it's interesting how like the entertainment industry presents themselves as authorities on a lot of stuff and people will be like, yeah, that's uh, actually how it is. You know, how it was portrayed in the day after tomorrow or, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, like 
popular culture then kind of really dictates what yeah. people think about a given topic. Exactly. And just having like surface level knowledge on the science of climate change, I was able to refute these points in, in state of fear pretty easily. No, interesting. But if I didn't have that surface level knowledge, like I didn't 20 years ago, right? I just blindly believed him. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, the other big exciting thing, which um, I got permission to reveal this, that our friend of ours, Sarah, is putting together a book of oh, yes. deconversion stories, which you and I are both contributing authors to. So that's pretty cool. We both, I think, submitted our our mm -hmm. stories, and then I got some really like good feedback from her. I don't know if you've gotten your feedback back. Yeah, I got it. How did it. you feel like writing out your story? Like, oh, I loved it. Well, I love to write, and so it was very cathartic, and I loved being able to play with words and really get across how I was feeling, and just to know that other people are going to read it. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Is it like nerve wracking for you knowing that it's going to be like out in the ether for... And that my actual name is going to be attached to it. Right. None of this like Susie business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Susie. Who the hell is Susie? <laughs> so I'm a little apprehensive, but I have a very common name. Yeah. So, meh. I think it might be time. And probably the people that like would come across in here already probably know the story anyway. Yeah. On some level. Right. So. But I think I'm going to send it once it's published, send a copy to my best friend who's the priest. Oh, yeah. Because she's in the story. Well, you read it. So yeah. she's in the story. Yeah. I don't think I knew that one part that you said. Yeah. I never talked about yeah, that. Yeah. I don't think I knew that part. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting where she got so upset and you were like, okay, well, hold on. Let me backpedal a little bit yeah. <laughs> just so I don't piss off my really good friend. Yeah. Because like, I, I had this choice. Now, I'm not going to ruin it for the listeners because you'll just have to read it. Right. But I had this choice to make. Do I save my friendship or do I save my Christian face. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really like powerful part of the, your story there that I actually didn't know like that detail. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, so how, how did you feel about writing yours? Well, I had kind of just recycled my one that I wrote on the blog post and I sent her the full post, which was way longer than the word requirement that she asked for. She oh, really? basically cut the whole end of it where I kind of went into all the theological issues of why and she just mm -hmm. left the main story part. But her edits were really good. Like her feedback was really good about like, she was really helpful with like kind of concising some of the points that I made and she- Is that a word? No, it's not. I just made it up. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, she's talented. She's like a wordsmither. Yeah, I'm excited about, about that. Yeah, me too. It'll be fun and we'll be sure to let everybody know when that's coming out and we can earn, you know, very small royalties maybe on- <laughs> I think it'll be like 50 cents a person. So yeah, let's jump into our flawed theology in real life segment. This kind of goes along with our topic, which I haven't even talked about yet. But our, our topic today, we're going to dig into the idea of emotional manipulation in I think worship. you guys should take a shot every time Phil says dig into dig into that's like my old pastor used to say well, let's unpack this and we used to be like yeah shot every time she said yeah. unpack but all right but yeah, my challenge to you is not to say dig into for the rest of this episode i will try not to dig into my nose either while we're having this episode so more challenging yes. more much more challenging <laughs> but yeah so we're going to talk about music um and worship and kind of the idea of being moved by the spirit and is it possible to be moved by the spirit without the spirit so we're going to dig into that I said it again. Um, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> you didn't even notice. I had to point I it out to you. I didn't. I'm just so used to it. Yeah, so there. But anyway, our flawed theology in real life story is is music-related-ish. Um, a friend of mine from back in my Calvary Chapel days, she writes, Tonight the Lord did something amazing again with the testimony of my healing. Tonight I met Mark Stewart, former lead singer of Audio Adrenaline, the big, big house song guy. He has spasmodic dysphonia, and I got to share my testimony, healing from that by the Lord with him. And he allowed me to pray over him for healing as well as his family. It was incredible. The most amazing part of this testimony is that he said he does not believe the Lord will restore his voice, but that the Lord has told him that he is restoring his story. I love that. That... <laughs> Oh. That Jesus took his voice and is using it to minister to people in another way through a sponsor of child ministry and missions. He lost it all and the Lord gave him a new story. This man is so humble and he said he has no desire to sing or tour. He's just content where Jesus has him. He asked me to pray for his family and for strength as he speaks nightly as it is a constant struggle and tiring at his time at times. I would never have managed, imagined when I first heard Big Big House at 20 years old that I would have the opportunity to be used by the Lord to encourage him. That was the real reason I was at the Tim Hawkins concert tonight. I just didn't know it. 
to God be the glory. And then she gives a Bible verse. So let's talk about this. Why? Well, if you, yeah, if you follow that whole thing, if you follow that whole thing, <laughs> the basic gist is she has the same disorder apparently. And she allegedly somehow has been healed of it. Most likely through science and medicine. But yeah. anyway, she met this guy who's the lead was the lead singer of audio adrenaline, who apparently has the same illness and is not getting magically healed by God. There's so many flaws in there. What jumps out as you is like why this is such a flawed thinking. That basically whatever happens, that's what was supposed to happen. That was the plan. That was the real reason why she was there. The real reason why he got this disease is so that he could do something different. Right. To me, that's just normal things happening in the normal course of life. Right. Why would a good and all-knowing God allow a guy who is like at the peak of Christian music, why would you allow him to lose his voice, to lose everything just so that he could like start something else? It doesn't make sense because he could start that thing anyway, like if he wanted to. You're right. If God wanted him to start a new thing, God could just give him the desire to start the new thing. Right. He wouldn't have to like paralyze his vocal cords or whatever <laughs> right. his disease is. But you know what's weird? The same exact disease, what is it called? Spasmodic dysphonia? Yeah. My pastor got that. Oh, really? He couldn't preach for like a year. This is like God striking down people who talk and sing too much. Like, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another flaw that jumps out to me is like, this guy doesn't believe that God's going to heal him. But why would you not believe that? Like, if your God is all powerful, maybe you've accepted that you have this condition, but why would you still not believe that you could be healed? Like, yeah, especially when this woman, your friend was healed, right? Right. And he allowed her to pray over him for healing. <laughs> right. So he's still allowing the prayers for healing, even though he doesn't believe that he'll be healed. Yeah. And that would be the true test if he does get healed. Well, not get healed, but if right. he does heal, right? just like my pastor did and like this woman did. It, that'll be a test to see, is he going to continue on this new trajectory or is he right. going to go back to singing even though he said, I don't really want to sing anymore. And then there there were some flaws in her story part too, like, which I said the first one about, like, she prays over him for healing. Why? If you really believe that God re is rewriting his story. And then secondly, the end of it is, that's my biggest pet peeve. The, that was the real reason I was at the Tim Hawkins concert. Well, you're at a Tim Hawkins concert because you bought the damn tickets to go to the concert. Like, the whole thing of, like, needing the bigger story. Because everything needs to be meaningful. Right. And, like, it's really funny because people always say, oh, well, how do you find meaning in life? Like, like I, I don't need to find meaning in life. I don't need a bigger story. The meaning is right here of what's happening. We're calling this uh, episode the one with the three chords. And the reason we kind of came up with that is because back in the 50s, there was a country guy who said that country music was about three chords and the truth. And ironically, a lot of Christian music and stuff in general is three chords and allegedly the truth. <laughs> so yeah. we're going to talk about how music actually works to affect our emotions and how it's exploited in Christian worship music. And then we'll talk a little bit about can quote unquote secular music do the same thing that Christian music does? The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes. Spoiler alert. Yeah, let's talk about our experience with music because I think music was b important kind of to both of us. But very different. In very different ways. Like for you, yeah. you've mentioned a little bit about choir and how music was part of your faith journey or your religious experience. Talk a little bit about that and, and how music was important to you. Okay, well, I joined choir when I was a teenager. I think I was like 15 or 16. For me, it was just a fun thing. It was very fun. It was kind of the first time I'd ever sang in a choir and learned how to sing harmonies and stuff. It was kind of an intellectual exercise. And it also kind of assuaged some of that guilt that I had about not being involved enough in church. Like I didn't like to do VBS. I didn't like to watch the kids. I didn't like to acolyte. And so this is a way I could like quote unquote serve. Right. And do it in a way that wasn't horrible to me. Right. It was something fun that you enjoyed doing. And right. But the music was all organ music and hymns and very traditional. So it was right. nothing like the music we're going to talk about today. Right. You, you did that kind of music, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because I grew up like in a pretty traditional church, like as a kid, I was involved in music from a very young age because my parents were both really musical. Even as a kid, I was singing like special music, you know, like the, the song before the the sermon or the song for the offering or whatever. So like, yeah, then that kind of evolved into getting into the whole worship thing, which happened kind of after college where 
I think that is kind of when that genre really kind of appeared. Like passion was really big and like contemporary worship kind of started happening in churches, you know, as a way to like reach the young people, you know. So that's right. when that's when I kind of got into um worship leading my first church like after college. I landed at at that church to be on the worship team. Music and leading worship was like who I was, like for my the bulk of my adult Christian experience was worship leading. Like that's what I did. And I had some hard times like going through that, trying to figure out who am I outside of like being a worship leader. So, so yeah, music has been really important to me. And it's, it's probably really the only thing that I miss from yeah. my Christian life, really. And not, Same. and not so much the like music itself, but it's like the, fe- the camaraderie that you got from being in a band. The same thing with a choir. We'll talk about that a little bit later. The mental benefits you get from doing music in a group. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what the church claims the power or the purpose of, of worship and music is. What about the church? What's the church's view about worship and why? I Googled this and got questions. It's always the one I go to. <laughs> yeah, your favorite. <laughs> yeah. So they say that God demands, seeks, and requests our worship because he deserves it, because it is the nature of a Christian to worship him, and because our eternal destiny depends upon it. Wow. Yikes on bikes. <laughs> <laughs> so this this actually conflicts with the common apologetic defense that worship isn't for God, it's for us. Right. You know, when we say, why does God demand worship? Oh, no, no, he doesn't. Right. It's for us. It's for our betterment. But the God questions doesn't agree. Yeah, well, and neither does the Bible, really, because there's so many places yeah. where God demands worship. He demands you come before him prostrate and you give everything and surrender and all that stuff. So the idea that worship is only for us is certainly not backed up by the Bible. And then for the worshiper, for the Christian, the reason that we did it was to foster this relationship with God, to purify ourselves, like singing these songs about how broken we were and all that kind of stuff was all part of that like cleansing process of, and reinvigorating, <laughs> so weird. like reinvigorating and reminding ourselves of how worthless we were without God. Mm. For you, like it's probably a little bit different in traditional worship, but like what did you get out of singing in the choir or even like singing in the congregation? It might be a little bit different. Do you mean me personally or what I should have gotten out of it? Yeah. Like, like what does the average Lutheran get out of it? <laughs> Well, maybe a little of both, like, because I think you were getting some, what were you getting out of it? Musical satisfaction, that was it. Yeah. So for you, like, singing the choral stuff didn't, like, heighten or enhance your, like, connection with the celestial or anything like that. It was just, like, notes on the page. Like I barely even registered the lyrics that I was singing. I It was all a mental exercise in getting the notes right and getting the words out when they were supposed to be out. <laughs> so how did your experience with worship music impact your faith initially when i got into like contemporary christian music it wasn't like this big emotional thing because i grew up baptist and like emotions were bad but then like i eventually landed at like a calvary chapel and their worship was like very like emotional and i was like "Ooh, this is like really cool and i think it's because they were using all these you know tactics kind of of music yeah you know to help the person feel more connected and so i started getting into that and i was like oh this is like really cool i like really feel the spirit quote unquote and then you know i got into worship leading and then i was like oh look i can do this to people too like and i really was like trying to do things to like make people respond for me wow. it was like it, it definitely like i felt that it deepened my connection because as a worshiper and as a leader I guess for me, it was somewhat like I hadn't realized that like my faith and feelings could work together, you know? So I was like, oh, I right. didn't realize I was allowed to have emotions about this, that. Of course, all the emotions a lot of times were negative because they're about you being broken. And then you translate that to the congregation too. Like your guys are all broken too, but you know, like. Yeah. And you just triggered a memory for me because yeah, I went from Lutheran to when I went to college, I joined InterVarsity and then went to their worship hour yeah. or whatever. It was called the band was called Sometime After Seven. I remember that because they started it sometime after seven. Sometime after seven. Yeah. How catchy. Uh yeah, I only went once because I had tears streaming down my face and I had no idea why. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Right. I think I kind of knew on some level that I was being manipulated mm. and I didn't like that I didn't understand it. Right. So I never went back. Yeah, that's interesting. And that leads kind of into the idea of how much bad theology is hidden and even not so hidden in that kind of music. Yeah. Like a lot of that damaging theology that's prevalent in mainstream 
Christianity is hidden by the emotional feelings that you have and the action of singing together. Like you're all singing together about topics like being a worthless sinner and being broken and being nothing and sacrificing everything and needing a savior. And you're singing this all collectively. So it all feels so normal. Yeah. It's so weird that you can wrap up this like horrible doctrine into something that sounds nice and mushy and emotional and makes you feel sort of good, but at the same time, like despicable. Yeah. Yeah. You put some nice chords behind it and like you sing a nice melody, but you don't realize you're saying things that are like truly damaging to your own psyche. Like, yeah. So we found that, well, you found this song called From the Inside Out, and it's by Hillsong United. I had never heard it until you oh. sent it to me, because I'm not really into this kind of That's music. That's so mind-boggling to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, let's talk a little bit about the lyrics, because that's what we're talking about. So, like, we're going to dig, we're going to examine this song. (laughs) You like that? We're going to examine this song a little more fully later, because it really fits a a certain formula that a lot of worship songs have. Yeah. This song was, like, a quintessential worship song. It was awesome for, like, the end of the service or right before the sermon, like, where you're really trying to get people to the place of, like, making some kind of decision, you know? The song opens with the lyrics, a thousand times I failed, still your mercy remains. So they make it seem like, oh, well, the failing is bad, but the mercy is good, which sounds plausible, right? Like, Sure, except that failing is just a part of being human, which, of course, they think right. is the problem, that you're human in the first place is a big right. problem. But everybody fails. And to minimize failure like that, when failure is like one of the steps to success, right? that feels very wrong to me. Yeah. You know what? Even God failed in the Bible. <laughs> right. I mean, clearly, he failed in the Garden of Eden and had to flood the whole world. Yeah. Yeah, there's another lyric that I liked. <laughs> it says, in my heart and in my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Yeah. So this makes you losing your autonomy sound like a real picnic. Yeah. Like you're being consumed from the inside out. Right. It's like a host, like a parasitic host. Yeah, a parasite. And the next lyric kind of goes right along with that. Like your will above all else, my purpose remains the art of losing myself in bringing you praise. Again, it's like mm-hmm. God's in charge. We're nobody. Like, you know. Yeah. We're just mindless puppets. Yeah. With no decision making power because we've surrendered it all to God. Yeah. A lot of worship songs are just filled with this kind of theology. Like you've got these kind of songs that are about brokenness and healing. And then you have like the outright adoration songs that are about like how great God is and all that kind of stuff, which when you sing those songs, it feels really good to sing those songs. But then like on this side of it, you look at those songs. Well, but why does God need that? If that was on the human yeah. realm and I was in a relationship with someone and I constantly had to tell them how great they were. That's called clinical narcissism. (laughs) Absolutely. An interesting thing is you sent me this video and then I Googled the guy who was singing and his name is Marty Sampson. Yeah. And turns out he's no longer a Christian as of 2019. Yeah. I didn't know that either. You sent that article and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. If you've seen any of these Hillsong documentaries and for me, like someone who is steeped in Hillsong, anybody from that realm that has like deconverted or fallen or has a scandal, like it's like a huge deal because you're, you're talking about people that were idols, like to a lot of people, like they were leaders. They were the examples of like what a sold out Christian was supposed to be. And you know, this guy's walked away. It's funny that they're the, they were the ones, or at least the worship leaders were in charge of manipulating people and i use the word manipulating loosely because like i'm sure when you were a worship leader you didn't do it maliciously no and i don't think that most of them do i think they honestly think that they're just trying to connect people to god but what they don't realize is that they're simulating god not actually connecting anybody to god right it's so interesting when those people lose their faith because they're the ones who are like doling it out right like they're the source of it on stage it was never real yeah it was never real but what's funny is like to this day, like earlier this afternoon, I was playing through some of these songs kind of for some of this, ep- for this episode. And I was like, it still feels remarkably good to play these songs and sing. Mm-hmm. And like, and it's like really interesting how that works. And we'll find out why.
from a scientific and medical standpoint, how does music affect the brain? There's a lot of interesting stuff that happens in our bodies and in our brains, like when we hear music, and especially when we hear music in a community setting. So so I found an NPR article that kind of briefly goes into an overview of what happens. So when you hear music, it triggers the production of brain chemicals that are involved in feelings like pleasure. It mentions dopamine. So we all know dopamine, like we need those hits of dopamine. And did you know our brain makes opioids? I don't know if I actually knew that. I'm not sure I knew that either. Like actual yeah. opioids or the simulation of what an opioid does? I have no idea. But I've read it in two different articles. This says your brain makes opioids. And then another one says it stimulates opioid pathways. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because like dopamine is the like response of what you would get from painkillers. And, and we'll do all kinds of things to get that dopamine response yeah. as a human i mean they've there's tons of like experiments that they do on rats you know with with dopamine and stuff like it's very easy to get that rat to hit that lever because they want that hit of dopamine so they can feel good like and that's why people keep going to church on sunday yeah and music has like physical effects on you like it can calm you lower your heart rate it can help you breathe easier it like helps you release stress hormones yeah the cortisol is what yeah the cortisol there. all that stuff happens when you hear music any kind of music yeah and then this also reminded me of one of our episodes that we did on prayer and how prayer also has these same effects mm -hmm. as does meditation right. so it's all kind of related right yeah and it's it's very interesting because like a lot of the things that you would attribute to the spirit or to god are all just things that happen naturally because of how our brain works yeah. And there was another article that talks about um, how singing releases endorphins, which endorphins are natural painkillers. It's the same feeling you get after you get done with a workout. You're like, ah, oh, I feel really good. Like I could take on the world. You know, and then your legs hurt two hours later. You're like, damn it, why did yeah. I do that? You know, but <laughs> but that endorphin high is the same thing. It comes from singing. Your body responds that way. There was another article that I came across, and it was about how performing you get high from it. It's a rewarding activity. Yeah, you get that hit of dopamine from performing. Yeah, and then also singing increases immunoglobulin A, which results in a stronger immune system. Ooh, nice. Now, I'm not saying like it's going to cure your cold if you start singing. Right. But I guess like over time, if you make a habit of it, yeah. then it could slightly strengthen your immune system. Sounds plausible. Oh, well, I think that's the kind of thing that like just singing in general has these health benefits that will like kind of overall improve your quality of life. Does that mean yeah. there's not people who are singers, plenty of them, professional rock stars and stuff that committed suicide. So clearly they weren't getting all mm -hmm. this benefit just from the music because they had other issues. Music obviously is not a cure-all. We're not saying if you have a disease, yeah. go out and sing and it will make you better. That's pseudoscience, you know, at its finest. And then music stimulates all parts of the brain. So they can see this on functional MRIs. They also say that music is more powerful than visual input. So if you watch a horror movie with the sound turned off, it's not scary at all. Right. Like you need that musical input. Or if you watch like a really scary scene from a movie like Cloverfield with like the aliens, right? Mm -hmm. But then you put a silly song right. behind it and you watch it with a silly song. Suddenly that's a funny scene instead of a scary one. It's, I feel like that would be like a funny YouTube channel, like like horror movies put to like VeggieTales songs or something like that. <laughs> like like The Quiet Place with Bob and Larry. Like it's super good. <laughs> be really hilarious like when they're crossing that bridge and all of a sudden it's like she's the cheeseburger like you know it just seems yes. like it'd be hilarious that's <laughs> like, hilarious this could be a great youtube channel like i wish i had these kind of skills but i don't um and the other thing that goes along with the the power of singing and music is the power of doing it in community like doing it in a group does something to our brains and to our chemistry that is very interesting too i remember the I think it might have been the first time I saw you two live in concert. I got like general admission floor tickets. I was like four feet from the stage. And I felt this overwhelming sense of like worship. Mm -hmm. Like I felt connected to God. I felt connected to these 80,000 people. And I was with a buddy of mine who also was a worship leader too. We both looked at each other and we're like, this is church right here. But you didn't think at that time, oh no, this is a simulated euphoric experience that has nothing to do with God? No. No, of course not, because I connected that to like, oh, well, God is everywhere. Like, and even in this venue with 80,000 people that aren't there to worship God per se, the connection that's happening is holy. Wow. What if it had been at a Marilyn Manson concert? Would that have been God? <laughs> 
You know, I pr- I might have been more disconcerted by it if it was Marilyn Manson or Pantera or, or or Rage Against the Machine or something like that. You know, but it's funny, like that community aspect was very yeah. powerful. Like, well, that NPR article mentioned that when lots of people are listening to the same song, our neurons fire with the beat of the music. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, they're all firing at the same time, and that that's how we all get shared brainwaves. No, I'm not sure how we detect the brainwave of the person next to us, but maybe it's just that like we're moving at the same pace and we're moving at the same beat. Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's some kind of neurological symmetry, I guess, that happens like... Yeah. You know, I mean, it is electrical impulses too. So, you know, there's maybe there's something to that because I think in that article, they also talk about they measured the brain waves and they could see the neurons firing as people listened to the songs together and they were like yeah. right on beat. Like, and it, this isn't just limited to like rock music and like choral singing does the same thing. Like singing in a choir, yeah. there's interesting articles about choir singing improves health and happiness. I sang in choirs too. And it was, there's something really cool that happens when you are like, just voices all these parts and like it's pretty magical stuff harmonizing is very satisfying to me i don't know why it was like yeah it scratches an itch you didn't even know you had all right so let's talk about like can you feel the spirit without the spirit (laughs) so so like we're not going to talk too much about music theory for one because i i know enough music theory just to confuse myself and i know nothing about it yeah people that are like musical wizards you know know the notes and there's ways to put these chords together that elicit certain emotions there's certain chords i'm going to like get my guitar and we're going to see how this goes but like in christian music if you want to like if you want to make people happy you just play songs that are like in g and they're like g c and d and e minor and you can play like hundreds of songs just in that thing so it's like oh yeah sounds great so you can play like almost every worship song like this now my foot's tapping i didn't even mean for that to happen so you can be like Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You know, I mean, everybody knows this. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my dead to pay. From the cross to the grave. I mean, come on. Wow, oh, I haven't sang that in like 25 years. Yeah, and like every song, ha- like you, if you want to get people hopping and clapping, you just play those songs. Like, and there's secular songs that do that too. Like that same progression, which is like one four five or one four five six or whatever, is like "I'm Yours" by Jason Mraz, like "Ho Hey" by the Lumineers. Like you can get the same emotional response from that same same thing. Would you like to know what my emotional response was to that? Oh, what was it? Okay, my heart's beating way faster than it was before. <laughs> I got really excited because I recognized the song and I have I sang it around the campfire at Camp Raven Rock. Right. Yeah, yeah my foot started tapping kind of involuntarily. Yeah. I just feel happier now. Well, and then like the nostalgic factor too from that like is crazy. I think I played the chords wrong several places, but like... <laughs> Didn't even notice. And there's hundreds of songs that... It's funny, I was on ChatGPT this morning. I was like, ChatGPT, give me a list of songs that use these chords. And it just, it spat out like 20 Christian worship songs that just use those chords. And there's way more than that. Like, there's tons of them. But you could take those same chords or like slightly change the order of them. And like, you can make it now like an emotional song. Like, like, so you So now we can elicit this like emotion of like of you know this wonder thing and be like how great is our God sing me how great is our God oh we'll see how great how great is our God you know and that's as soon as you hear these things, it's like you like, oh yeah, it's nice. You can just Ooh. elicit this like emotion. And there's like so many songs that just use the same 
same pattern. I almost want to become a Christian again. <laughs> it's really funny because like singing that, I was playing that song this afternoon. I was like, oh, I could do this in a church like right now and just go show yeah. up at some church, get paid for it. And I mean, the songs are good. And the funny thing is, is that there are people that do that, like that don't believe it at all. Yeah. But they just yeah. do it as their job. And like, I've heard stories, some of my old, my friends that still play music and shirt and stuff in church. They're like, people will come up to him like, man, God is really using you. And like the person's like, just like a stark atheist, <laughs> like, you know, and it's just, and they just nod and smile and then they go get their check. You know, like it's that progression too can elicit emotion. It's like the same progression as like with or without you and let it be by the the Beatles, like, you know, or my, one of my personal favorites, um, for musical, um, emotional elicitation, how he loves people would get into this song. Like, Oh, wrong. That's bad. It's like, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, loves us. So this has like some minors in it. So people are like, it's very like pensive. It's also like a little bit different of a rhythm. So it's like, oh, you're like lilting. And you're like, this is all the spirit. But guess what? I don't believe in God. And I can sing this song. I'll bring you right to heaven's gate. You know, all because of these chords. Like, I actually don't like that one. <laughs> oh, you you should hear the original version of it. Like that was maybe. Oh, no, I'm not saying it's your rendition. I mean, I the feel of it, I don't like. Yeah. So then the difference in is just the chord placement. Yeah. You can change the whole feel That's of a song. Crazy. Just by, well, so like here, like you can take this, like. That's the same four chords as this. it feels totally different right it does same chords just play them in a different rhythm and you could say literally anything over those chords and like people will respond to it like give us 10 percent of your money yeah like, and then the other favorite thing like that's utilized a lot in worship is like key changes so you start in one key and then there's this like build and this build and then you change the key and then it's like Ooh, like it modulated and people are just like freak out. Um, there's one we used to do at Calvary Chapel. It's called You Alone. I think it's a Calvary Chapel song. And it was like a real cool John Mayer type strum pattern. And it was like. Yeah, that's cool. You know, so it sounds like a little bit like your body is a wonderland, but Jesus is your wonderland. <laughs> so then it would, this the chorus would be like, it would be like, you. and people are like losing it like and then you sing it again up the octave and like it really sounds like you're just ripping it I'm not going to try to sing it up the octave because my voice I don't want to crack and that would just be embarrassing but but yeah like we used to do that kind of stuff and people would just they would like oh I didn't know that was coming and it's, and it's funny you said earlier like about not doing it intentionally or man, uh, maliciously and it certainly wasn't malicious but it certainly was intentional intentional yeah you know that people are going to respond a certain way to certain things it's very formulaic formulaic is a good way to put it I feel like they teach this stuff like the video we were talking about earlier from genetically modified skeptic which we'll put the link to where he talks about the formula to the worship service the guy that they interview in there he is really formulaic saying oh we know what we're doing when we do this like it's designed for us to do it this way to elicit this emotion like and it's funny to me because i feel like i don't think i ever sat in a meeting where we were like we've got to do this intentionally to get this reaction but it was there like kind of I don't know, like a subtext, like you kind of knew what mm -hmm. to do. Like, Well, you knew what you wanted to accomplish and you knew how to do it. Yeah. 
But what you didn't realize is that you were manufacturing the whole thing. Yeah. And even how songs are like laid out, like worship songs have a real set structure. We're going to go back to that Hillsong song and we're actually going to play the song. And the formula to like write a worship song is like, it's pretty simple. It's like, you got a nice pensive intro, you got your verse, you got your pre-chorus, you got your chorus, go back to the verse chorus, musical interlude, you know, where the worship leader will talk through some stuff and encourage you to Mm -hmm. like think about the words to the song that's key right there and then there was always a quiet part where you'd like sing the bridge like or sing the chorus like almost acapella or there'd be like a bridge that was really quiet and then the big build at the end and then the chorus again and then it just like goes so you have the whole gamut of emotions inside one three or four minute song like so they're building it up at the end they build it and build it and then it finally just like explodes at the end yeah yeah and oh man i used to love that i remember I played multiple instruments, so I would play drums sometimes and I would play guitar and I would just love the songs that had those crazy builds where I could just like get into the cymbals with the mallets and be like this big swelling thing and then it would just break into the beat and it, I would, oh, I, I have goosebumps just thinking about it right now. Like yeah. certain songs you're like, and you're doing it for the crowd reaction too because you would just look out there and you would just see people like swaying and like. There's something like that's pretty awesome about it. Like, but then it's not about you. It's supposed to be about God. Right. You can't be prideful about how epic this music is. But all right, well, let's play the, uh, the inside out song. See if you can pick out these parts of the, the structure of the song. And then we could talk a little bit about the lyrics too. All right. So here we go. This is from the inside out by good old Hill song. So this is your nice pensive intro, cool guitar lead, you know, you gotta have that. Look at this congregation too. Like, I know. Look how many people are there, and like their hands all up in the air. The responses are like they're just primed. Like. Obligatory blonde girl on stage. She looked like she was having an orgasm. <laughs> yeah. Feel song people were not ugly, so you know that's another prerequisite. Sweet guitar solo to glorify Jesus, of course. (laughs) 
bring it down. Here's your build. What are your thoughts? I zoned out at some points. Did you? Yeah, it's just kind of boring. Yeah. There were good parts that gave me like feelings of serenity, but then I also like definitely zoned out. That might be a little inattentive ADHD going on. But... Yeah. It's funny because like for me, that response is like very nostalgic, but like the formula on that song is so, it's like it's right there. That was a perfect example of the formula. And then mm -hmm. like the repetitiveness of the lyrics, like they said the same lyrics probably three or four times just in different ways. Like you sing them in a low yeah. register, and then you sing them in a high register. And like, and you could feel the emotional swelling that like happens. You start out low, it's like pensive, and then it's like you're like ramped up or you nod off, you know? So, <laughs> you know, like a little bit, but like imagine being in that stadium. Like, how many people would you say were in that, in that arena in that video? Oh my gosh, like 40,000. Yeah. It's like, 40,000 something people all with their hands in the air. Yeah. And you can get that same experience from where the streets have no name. Oh, I love I've that gotten song. It many times, you know? Oh yes. But there's a formula to it. The music breaks down the barriers between like your head and your heart. So you come in there with all of your pain and struggle from the week. And then you get blasted with this emotional stuff that's like designed to prep you and prime you for whatever the preacher's going to say. The things that they say are like, well, first of all, it's like, give us all your money. <laughs> and then the second part is like calling out the vulnerable people. Right. Genetically modified skeptic harped on this, that they're singling out people like, are you struggling with pornography? Mm -hmm. Whatever you're struggling with this week, we see you. There's somebody out there who's struggling with infidelity or right. whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. Like It feels like God orchestrated this moment for you. Right. What did he say? Like, it was orchestrated, just not by God. Right. It was orchestrated by that leadership team that knows yeah. exactly what they're doing. But yeah, that repetitive ritual, it, it like engages people to participate. Humans, we respond to people who lead by example. So you're going to follow what the worship leader does. You're then going to follow what the group as a whole does. You get that like groupthink thing of where, oh, this whole community is responding the same way. Well, I should feel the same way. But then there's there's always the outlier like you probably were <laughs> or would have been like, oh, I don't like this emotional response. I'm never going back to this shit again, Like, which yeah. is very yeah. rare. Because most people are like, oh, I really like that dopamine hit that I got. I don't know where it came from, but I'm going to go back and figure out what it is. And then they get sucked into it. Yeah. It's almost like I could feel myself bending to their will. Yeah. And I didn't like it. Well, and that also goes to the uh, the place of like, if you're a vulnerable, hurting person, there's no resisting that. 
Like if you're a yeah. strong thinking person, you're going to be like something like you, like you're like, this doesn't feel right. You weren't like, let me go back so I can experience again. You're like, fuck that. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yeah. But very few people have that kind of like mental fortitude. Yeah. Well, can we read some of the comments on that video that we just listened oh, to? Because oh, yeah. I love them. They're so good. This really exemplifies what we're talking about with the manipulation. So here's one. I'm crying uncontrollably. Everything is making me cry right now. Lord Jesus Christ, please come. We want to see your power, oh Lord. So they were so manipulated by this music and so emotionally charged that they want the world to end. Right. They literally want Jesus to come back and the world to end, right? Right. You want the world to end because I feel so good about this emotional response that I'm ready for it all to go down. I'm waiting for my page to reload because I closed it. Here's another good one. I took a good friend of mine. He was a Muslim friend to their concert. And it was that day he changed his life. I remember that night. He grabbed my hand and he said to me with tears in his eyes, he said, bro, I want to follow Jesus. <laughs> now I see it was later on that night. He told me why. It was because he saw and felt the hand of our Lord Jesus come on him. Thank you, Hillsongs. He said Hillsongs. Hillsongs, yeah. It's funny because some of these comments must be when marty was like going through his deconversion because they're, yeah, exactly. they're trying to bring him back to god you don't think this guy marty sampson knows the theology better than exactly. any of these people on here like yeah the comments are crazy like to anyone reading this i hope you heal from all the things that hurts you there's always hope never lose your faith jesus will get you through whatever it is i love you i love you <laughs> it's like by listening to the song you can recognize the intimacy of marty's relationship with god let us all pray for him to come back to his first love, Jesus. Yeah, they're bad. This song saved me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. I get so emotional every time I hear it. Yeah. There you go. I failed you so many times, but you never turned your back on me. I love you, Lord. Thank you for always being there for me. I will always be yours forever. I'm a slave. Yeah. I melt in God's presence with this song. <laughs> it speaks my deepest heartfelt surrender to the king. That's, I was just on that same exact one. Like, <laughs> But yeah, the thing you get from this is like all of these are emotional responses. Like I'm crying, like, you know, and then, you know, they're like mm -hmm. in light of all the stuff that's going on with Hillsong, with the scandals and stuff, they're like, oh, well, Hillsong may have its its flaws because it's human, but the message is still good. You know, the what they're doing is still good and it's crazy. Just to like kind of talk about the formula thing and wrap that up, like people don't come to Jesus or whatever because they looked at all the evidence and said, Oh, this is the best way to live. They do exactly. it. They do it based on emotion from something like this, or they're in like a really down low place. And then they hear some sermon that says, God loves you. Well, of course I'm looking for a way out of this pit. But then what's funny is once you get in, then your emotions, they're not allowed <laughs> like for anything except for worship. That's the only thing your emotions are good for. And for Lutherans, you're not allowed to have any emotions at all. Where I was going to say in some denominations, no emotions are allowed in worship either because God's too holy for you to see you raise your hands. And yeah, the, the more stoic you are in church, the better. Right. It's like a way of showing like your seriousness about your faith and stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that if Christianity had logic and reason and evidence and rationality, then you wouldn't need to manipulate people's emotions to get them to convert. And I actually think Lutherans would agree with that. Like, I think my mom would say, yeah, don't use emotions to convert people, but she probably thinks just use the Bible and the, the right. word of God. It's evidently true. Right. Use that to convert people instead. But like, obviously we know that doesn't hold up. And so when we see these adult conversions, most of the time it's because they have an emotional experience, not because they're persuaded by the evidence. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think we can safely say like the conclusion we can come to is that music is powerful. And you can experience an emotional connection with the people around you, with what you think is God, because of how our brains work and how music works. Like, there's so much st studies. Like, we didn't really dig into all the studies or give all the data that's out there about the neurological responses. But there's so much scientific and medical explanations for the response that the human body, mind, and brain have to music that worship leaders, Christians organizations, they know this stuff. I think that's probably more evident in like a bigger organization where they're like, we've got to keep these people all on the same path. Mm -hmm. And so they know that stuff. I think maybe in a smaller church or something like that, they're just trying to do their thing or whatever. But in these big mega churches where they're a business 
and their survival is based on thousands of people giving their money, they know what they're doing. You know, it may not be malicious, like you said earlier, but it's definitely intentional. Like, yeah, they're hijacking normal neurological processes to simulate God for their own means and their own objectives. Yeah. The more light that we can shed on that and expose it for what it actually is, it's kind of like seeing the man behind the curtain, like the Wizard of Oz. Right. Then we can sort of inoculate ourselves against it. Like when, you know, when I was in that situation and I felt, I felt like I was being emotionally manipulated and I didn't go back. I removed myself from that. Yeah. So I feel like people need to be more aware that this can happen and then protect themselves from it. Yeah. It's like being unafraid to use your autonomy and, and yeah. tap into your autonomy. I mean, that's something that's hard for a lot of us that came out of Christianity because we've been told, you know, our whole lives, your autonomy means nothing. Like your emotions mean nothing. Your desires mean nothing. All of that stuff's evil. And so now on the other side of that, you really have to, you have to be intentional to use a bad Christian word. <laughs> you know, you got to be intentional in your desire to be autonomous and realize that these things are emotionally manipulating you to get you back into the fold or whatever. Absolutely. I, I kind of had fun like with these songs and stuff because I haven't really listened to any song music like this in a while. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I could listen to it and if it would bother me. Cause I see a lot of people say it like, Oh, this triggers me. It causes me a lot of like pain and stuff. And I was curious if that was going to happen, which it didn't, which I think is like healthy. Cause then you can look at things objectively, which I guess is an encouragement to listeners out there wherever you are in your journey, you're going to progressively get to the point where you can look more objectively back at some of these things and say, Oh, that's why that worked. <laughs> or that's why I did that. You know, like, yeah. And that's such a light bulb moment. You're like, Ooh, now that makes perfect sense. And it also helps you be like, well, I'm never doing that again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. So, cool. yeah. So I want to wrap this up with a poem that, um, a friend of, I don't know if you know her, but she started a blog and her, her blog name is Johnny Rose, but she wrote this poem that is called strings and i'm just going to read it kind of as the as the closing to this episode such a grand manipulator your pitch you tenor the chorus that progression the awe-inspiring intensity the trembling in your voice orchestrated to convict me it was true you sang it a simple soft delivered tone could grip me bind my heart to thee a puppet tethered to your strings my mood would follow your melody, tore me down so you could lift me up. It was true, so I sang it, arms lifted, heart pounding, my eyes welling with tears. I thought holiness would cure my humanity, make me better, make me new. But I stayed human. I stayed the same. Your message would damn me, then forgive me. Week after week, I came back for your songbirds lashing, for a f for my fix of fresh forgiveness, to experience those repeated feelings, that passion of vagrant a sinner, but safe. You controlled me from the inside. Captor, you played my feelings with a song. Now you and I both wonder how I got away. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. It's so good. The power that music has shouldn't be like used to abuse and damage people. And it really can. Like it really can hurt people when you tell them that you're broken. You need Jesus. You need a savior. You're worthless. Like that shit sticks with you. Like, and it's hard to overcome that stuff. So hopefully this will be a, a useful episode for you guys to help identify some of these these tactics and these things and be glad that you got the hell out. It'd be fun to do an invitation right now where we just invite you to give us all your money or tell you that you're a bad person, but we're not going to do that. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Join our Facebook page, which is called Dangerous Questions. We have a lot of great conversations there. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about the episode there. And then follow us at theflawedtheologypodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And please rate and review us on Google, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find us. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Yeah, I've gotten spoiled with the Kindle books and every once in a while I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to read a book, like an actual book, but I always read at night and like, I'm always dropping my tablet on my face when I fall asleep. So if I dropped like a climate change book on my face, I'd probably give myself <laughs> yes. a concussion or something. Well, you'll probably be fine if it's the paperback.
we're probably like hypersensitive to it because we're like, yeah, oh yeah, everything sure. is stupid. <laughs> everything is stupid. <laughs> oh, <laughs> story of my life. Yeah, everything's stupid. It's the opposite of the Lego song where everything is awesome. It's like no, really, yeah. everything is stupid. But if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? muted yourself <laughs> i muted and then unmuted because i was like oh let for me the worst of it yeah hold on <laughs> lemons really or wherever you find us thanks for listening bye <laughs> see ya <laughs> i'm sorry were you waiting for me to say something <laughs> you usually say something but that's okay fine. something she said something and that's it okay <coughs> hold on let me put some more lung butter on the microphone <laughs> Gross. Fucking gross. <laughs>